Well, good morning, friends, and welcome. Hey, if you're just getting the chance to join us, I appreciate you spending some of your Labor Day weekend with us. My name is Grant. Uh, I'm on staff here at Keystone. I do work primarily with our students in middle school and high school in our youth ministry program called Anthem. But I'm super, super, super excited to be with you today as we get to talk about one of my favorite concepts of all time. Now, some of you that know me well might already know this, but if you don't know me well, you're going to learn very quickly today that I am just an absolute and shameless dork. <laughs> and, and if I was being honest with you, this isn't like a new development. No, I've been this way for a long time, probably ever since I was about 12 years old and I bought my very first sword. Now, I have no idea why I was allowed to, but no one ever found out about the injuries, so here we are. Uh, my stepbrother and I, we would take our swords and we would head out to the woods for hours where we would have imaginary battles with hordes of enemies and bad guys and orcs, and we would hack and slash and stab and <clears throat> freedom. Well, a dork, right? So I can get carried away pretty easily. I should put that down. We were obsessed with stories of fantasy. There was nothing more important to our, in our lives than stories of, of wizards and dragons and swords and, and things such as that. And the most impactful story to us was the story of Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. Now, if you know this story, I'm probably going to ruin your day. But if you don't, Fear not, I got 10 seconds of spark notes for you, right? Aragorn, he came from a long line of kings, but kings that had fallen and, and been corrupted, and in fear of this being his fate as well, he fled from kingship and fled from that as his life until, well, until the realm of Middle-earth came under threat of the forces of Sauron and endangered the entire realm. So he took the crown of king and led the force, forces of man against Sauron to save the realm of Middle-earth. Now, as a boy, well, as a boy, I had no reason why this story was so good. I had no reason why this story was so impactful. It was fun to me. But as a man, as a man, the world began to break me in ways that were no longer fiction. Things like warfare, heartbreak, the loss of friends, these weren't just concepts found in the pages of a favorite novel. These were a reality. And it was in my brokenness that I, I felt this void. And I don't have to ask you if you know what this feels like because you do. This void that leaves us wondering what life looks like when the world has broken us in such a way. And it was with, with this void that one of my professors introduced me to, to the work of Joseph Campbell called The Hero's Journey. And, and one of the primary concepts that Joseph Campbell makes in this work is that in every great story told, in every great story, every epic, the hero of that journey ends up following an experience or a set of experiences with a very similar format. The, the path that they take seems to look pretty similar. And now Joseph Campbell, 
he breaks down the hero's journey into 17 specific stages. Now, fear not, we're not going to go through 17 stages of the hero's journey, um, especially when one of them is called woman as the temptress. I'm not smart enough or brave enough to tackle that. And my wife's a redhead, so I know better by now, most of the time. No, instead, what I'll do today is I will create three unique stages of our hero's journey for us to examine. Those stages are crisis, trials, and metamorphosis. And what I'm going to do is I want to use these three stages as a lens, a lens to examine one of the most important biblical narratives that there is so that we can understand how the hero's journey, how these three stages play a role in the story of our lives and the story of our faith. So our hero's story begins today in the first chapter of the book of Exodus. And our hero's story begins as such. It says, then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing. Joseph, of course, being the Hebrew man who saved the land of Egypt during a time of famine, rose to the second most powerful person in Egypt, right underneath Pharaoh. 400 years after this, a new king comes to power who cares nothing about his history. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal with them shrewdly. We must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So what he does is they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. And, and in spite of this, the people of Israel continued to multiply and spread to the point where Pharaoh issue, issues a decree that all Hebrew boys born are to be killed. And right here, right here, we have to stop and pause because we've arrived at the first stage of our hero's journey, and that's crisis. Notice how this story begins with a crisis. Friends, I'm going to argue all good stories begin with a crisis. You see, it's the crisis that sets the hero out on the journey in the first place. It's the crisis that gives the hero purpose. Without the crisis, there is no journey. And one of the most important things that we need to keep in mind with this is that journeys, well, they don't end with a crisis. They begin with one. And how important is that to keep in mind when we start looking at the crisis of our own lives. So often we're faced with crisis and we have this void and we get stuck wondering what life, what direction life could possibly take when instead we could keep this in mind and say, I wonder what story God will tell with this. 
But of course, crisis is only the first stage of the hero's journey. And it's the, only the first stage of, of our examination of the story of our hero today. So when we return, of course, the Israelites continue to multiply and spread, and our hero is born. Moses is born, and he is not killed. He's floated in a basket down the Nile until he comes into the possession of Pharaoh's daughter herself, who dictates how Moses will be raised. And, and it's unlike the lives that his kin lead. And, and it looks very different from all the other people that call themselves Hebrew in the nation of Egypt at that time. And as Moses grows, he starts coming face to face with his very first critical trial of this chapter. Let's see what that looks like, right? One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And this, this brings us to our second stage in the hero's journey, trials. Notice how this is such a unique trial. Notice how this trial seems to ride the line between right and wrong. Notice how this trial seems to fall into the gray area between just and unjust. What we have in this trial is a clear picture of who Moses is. We get a clear picture of his character, his values, his strengths, and his weaknesses. We get a clear picture of the ways that Moses could grow and improve. As we discuss the way that trials interact with our own lives, I have to ask you uh, one critical question. Do you tend to learn more from your good days or your bad ones? Now, there, there's not a right or wrong answer here, and most of us would probably be split about which is the better lesson. But most of us would also probably agree that our bad days can be or should be valuable lessons. And when it comes to the story of our lives, this is no different. In fact, our trials can be some of our most valuable lessons as long as we are able to grow from them. Our trials can be lessons as long as they point towards growth. And in growth, well, that's a critical and significant concept because if we don't, we could get stuck in our trials. Our trials can consume us unless we intentionally grow from them. And we can see how this occurs when we return to the story of Moses. So Moses, of course, is witnessed killing the Egyptian, right? Pharaoh finds out, issues an order that Moses is to be killed. Moses flees to a foreign land. In this foreign land, he finds work, a wife, and his wife gives birth to a son. In the ancient world, right, 
having your firstborn son was a pretty big deal, right? I mean, you know, it's a big deal still today. You're welcome, Mom, right? Um, but in the ancient world, it was even bigger of a deal, okay? Uh, and we see how Moses responds to this particular event. Moses' response to the birth of his firstborn is, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And I always think, what? Mo this is how you respond? Shouldn't you be glad? This is your response? You seem to be lamenting something that you've lost in spite of all the blessings that you are receiving? Moses, why are you still torn? But the reality is, it's no surprise. You see, Moses hasn't overcome the trials of his life. He hasn't intentionally done with them. He hasn't overcome his trials, and he hasn't done anything about the crisis of his time and the crisis of his people. So, of course, he'll continue to be torn and consumed by them regardless of the blessings that he receives. And I feel like this is such an interesting interaction because Moses is about to learn what to do with his trials. But he's not going to learn the easy way. You see, the Lord hears the cries of the Israelite people, and the Lord chooses a hero to go and set them free. And he, and he comes to Moses and starts giving him detailed instructions, exactly laying out how Moses is going to set the people of Israel free from the tyranny of Egypt. And Moses' response is, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am, who am I that I should do this journey? Moses' reluctance to change indicates that the lack of change causes him to be stuck in his trials and consume him. But of course, the Lord says, I will be with you. And he continues to give Moses detailed instructions about how he will, how he will perform this great act. And once again, Moses says to the Lord, well, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And once again, God says, okay, I will give you more tools to succeed on this journey. I will be with you. I will give you everything that you need to succeed. However, Moses, you have to be the one to change and do them. And once again, as the Lord starts telling him these things, Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Please send somebody else. I'm the wrong guy. And of course, God says, we'll send Aaron too. But I need you to be the hero of this journey. I need you to be the one to accept the change and become the person you need to be to set out and face the crisis of your time. And it's in this that we get to the third stage of our hero's journey, metamorphosis. You see, 
in every great story, whether it be fiction, nonfiction, whatever it may be, video game, book, in every great story, the hero of that story, in order to overcome their trials and overcome the crisis that they face, they have to go through some type of personal transformation. They have to be the one to change in order to overcome their trials and crisis. It's the only way, and this is not necessarily different for us. When it comes to our trials, when it comes to the negative events of our lives, they can easily consume us unless we intentionally attach a point of personal growth to them afterwards. The only way a hero can overcome the trials of their journey is to go through some type of transformation. The change required for us is personal growth. And Moses would have never overcome these trials or done anything about his crisis had he continued to be reluctant to change. If he had said three times that he didn't want to do it and God was like, oh, all right, dude, you said it three times. I'll pick somebody else. We know how Moses' story would have gone. He would have continued to have been a foreigner in a foreign land. But because of his decision to finally change and trust in God to aid him in his journey and be the author of his story, we know how this one plays out. We know all the things that Moses would go to do. And all three areas of this hero's journey can be seen in this first chapter of Moses' life. And I love examining the Exodus story this way because now we get to ask one super good question, right? And I know what somebody's thinking, and it's probably my wife, like, good, good grief, Grant. What has this got to do with me? Well, let me tell you, right? After the Exodus story, the people of Israel would go on into a new chapter, and they would face a brand new crisis. And it's a crisis that they would face for years and generations to come. And friends, I'm going to argue it's the same crisis that you and I face in our lives. Because the crisis of the modern world is sin. And like any hero's journey, it's in the crisis that we find incredible purpose to set out on our journey. Because as Christ followers... We are called to do something about this crisis. As Christ followers, we are called to be an opposing force to the crisis of our time. So what is the opposite of sin? Well, it's certainly not judgment. It's certainly not punishment. And the opposite of sin, well, it can't be not sinning because a lack of something can't oppose a force so the opposite of sin is grace. Grace, which becomes the very foundation of, of our faith as Christ followers. Grace that we've been given without limit, and we are called to set out to give to others without limit. The opposing force to the crisis of our time is grace. 
So what about our trials? Now that we know what our crisis is, what about the trials of our lives? Well, in order for us to see trials as valuable lessons to learn and grow from, we have to find a new means to start classifying them. So I will argue that there is about five major areas of life, five things in life that we are trying to fulfill before everything else. And these five major areas, well, they look as such. They go a uh, major area of faith and spirituality, major area of work, major area of family, major area of leisure and social lifestyles, major area of health and well-being. Now, when we think about our trials, when we think about our losses, what they really are is a loss in one of these major areas of life. It's a specific area in which we no, long, no longer find equal fulfillment in one of these major areas. Some of us know what these losses look like. Some of us know what our voids look like because they take a very particular form. Some of us know what losing work looks like. And maybe it wasn't by choice, but because of it, we start struggling financially and our sense of identity and purpose, well, it starts coming into its own crisis. Others of us know the loss of health a new diagnosis or something happened, and now we're struggling to enjoy the things that we once did to such a great degree. And, and others of us yet know what it's like to have a loss of family or a loved one, someone that was such an integral part of our story, though they're no longer around, and we don't know what direction life could take afterward. A loss is really specific to one of these major areas of life and if we think about them as opportunities to grow the metamorphosis that we need the change that we need in order to overcome them the trials of our lives is to find a point of personal growth that is in a different area that our loss occurred in and being in a different major area is critical so that we avoid trying to replace because that doesn't work Instead, we embrace change because that is what we are called to be and do. It's the change that helps us put our trust in God to be the author of our story. It's the change that causes us to have trust in God be a kinetic act and not just a passive force. Because as we've seen, when it comes to overcoming the trials of our lives, when it comes to seeking out and embracing change, we can be like Moses once was and reluctant to do so and let our trials consume us. Or we can trust in God to be with us and provide us the tools to overcome our trials by embracing change in a different scope than the one our loss occurred in. The metamorphosis of our life will start taking that form if we are intentional about seeking it out. Life has its own chapters, each with its own crisis, each with its own trials. 
but it's important for us to find an intentional means to manage them, to, to not resist change, but to seek, seek it out as it becomes the only true way for us to encourage and allow God to be the author of our story. There's one last thing that I want to look at with you today, friends, um, and, and, it's, and it's an excerpt at the end of Deuteronomy that talks about Moses after he has passed. And it says, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his officials and his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in sight of all Israel. Now it can be really intimidating to know that we might not be remembered in such a way, but that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that our story can't look similar, that we can't live out a journey and story that follows this same format. So my last question for you, friends, as we, we look at closing today, is what will, you, what will you do? Will you continue to resist change? Will you let your losses define you? Or will you place your trust in God by seeking out personal growth and a scope of life that's different than the one that your loss occurred in? Will you do this and live the entirety of the hero's journey and live a story worthy of all of us? And with that, we conclude today's message and today's in the series. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your Labor Day weekend to join us here. Uh, if any of you are, are looking for an ear or looking for a moment of prayer, we're going to have some friends to my right underneath the screen after the service who are, who are more than willing and happy to ch chat with you. If you're able and willing, I would love if you could stand and I'll close us in prayer. Father in heaven, you are good. You are a good God. Thank you for every blessing that you've rained down on us. Thank you for being with us in the same way that you've been with all your people. Thank you for the tools that you've provided us to, to make the most out of this journey that you've blessed us with. We ask that you continue to move into our hearts, continue to help us see purpose, continue to help us overcome the, the scary trials that we face, and we pray that we continue to give you, give you the ability to play the most important role in writing our story. And everybody said, amen. Peace and blessings, friends. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.